You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Please stand for the reading of the word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the word of the Lord. And turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 7. First cha- 1 Samuel 7, verses 3 through 17. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territories from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come now and ask that you would teach us by your word. You would instruct us, that you would tell us this story, that we might learn from it, that we might um, be a people who are faithful unto you, people who wholeheartedly turn to you, a people who put away our false gods, our false idols, a people who um, serve you and you alone, a people who are gathered into your presence um, in worship. So God, teach us, correct us, strengthen us, um, and make us a people faithful unto your name. In your name we pray, amen. 
Um, it's important that we get up to speed again with First Samuel and where we find ourselves. I'm at the beginning of chapter 7 um, here in this story. Everything has been, if we can all just admit it, uh, pretty dark and depressing. There's been some funny moments. When God like, goes into Philist- Philistia and does what he does there. Uh, it was meant to be a comedic moment in, um, in the story of Samuel. But overall, um, as you look at the people of God, as you look at Israel themselves, as they, um, as they exist and as they stand in this particular place, it's dark. They are not a faithful people. The worship of Yahweh has fallen on hard at times. Um, it, it's uh, been, uh, it was, we, we entered the story with a corrupt priesthood. Um, we entered the story with corrupt judges and magistrates. We entered the story with Israel um, in a dark, dark place. Israel then is conquered, defeated um, by the Philistines. Um, Israel trying to use the ark, trying to use God to accomplish their goals, their ends. They bring the ark out to battle against the Philistines. Um, the Philistines defeat Israel. Um, the, uh, uh, the sons of Eli are killed. Um, Eli himself dies, and the ark is taken into exile uh, by the Philistines. Then you have the wonderful chapter, one bright spot so far, where God goes to war by himself with the Philistines, um, conquering uh, Dagon uh, and bringing plagues to all the cities of the Philistines. Great moment. It's been a, it's been a highlight for me so far, if I'll be honest. Um, and then the, 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 the ark is then returned to Israel, and where we landed last week was, was another dark, perhaps even darker moment. Um, the ark is returned to Israel, and uh, it, it's returned to a city, a city run by Levites. In other words, uh, the, the priests, the ones that were, um, des- a, a priestly city, a city that was um, designated by God to be filled with those who would serve in the temple, serve around the ark, serve around the sacrifices, um, uh, um, historically, the Levites are awesome. Uh, they are the kind of priestly ninja musician class. Um, any society that has a priestly musician ninja class is a superior society to our own. Um, this is what the Levites were. Um, the Levites re- received the ark, but the Levites, who should have known better, look into the ark, set their eyes on the ark. Um, they, they don't, in other words, they don't honor um, um, how God had, had, had called them to, instructed them in how they were to worship and approach the presence of God, the throne of God. So they offered cows and by sacrifice, their, their, their worship was, was all backwards um, and they dishonored the ark. They, they presumed again upon the approachability of God, that God is just their buddy. You can just approach him and you can approach him however you see fit and however you want. Um, this was a, a, a theme that we saw um, with Eli's sons and the nature of their sin. Um, while it was uh, primarily seen and evidence kind of on the surface as sexual in nature, underneath it was this, um, this kind of corruption of the worship of Yahweh, um, um, making Yahweh approachable, making Yahweh someone um, that could be handled and used however you wanted to, um, which seems to run rampant throughout um, kind of the, that seems to be underlying kind of the basic uh, problem within Israel at the time. You'll see um, that, that God is simply someone to be used, something to be used. Um, 
We don't stand subject to him, subject to his law, I'm subject to his word. Rather, he stands subject to us. We can approach him, use him, drag him out to a battlefield. Um, regardless of our faithfulness or, um, or lack of faithfulness, uh, God simply is kind of a talisman, a genie. Um, someone that we can kind of put to use however we see fit. Um, that seems to kind of underlie Israel's primary problems I'm at the end of Judges and here in 1 Samuel. And so where we ended last week was an interesting place. Um, Israel uh, has just seen more people killed because of unfaithfulness in worship as the ark is returned to Israel. And the question comes up, who can stand before the Lord our God? Remember last week we talked about how that question is fundamental to all of salvation in the gospel. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, that there is one question that, that I think you have to come and face when it comes to the very nature of Christianity and who God is. And I think it marks the beginning of kind of renewal taking place within Israel. And I pray it'd be a question that would guide and shape us and our own worship Um, if you're here and you are a Christian, but if you're here and you're not a Christian, this question must haunt you. Who can stand before the Lord our God? Here at this question is, is a confession of God's holiness, of his sovereignty, of his power. At the root of this question is what Um, The author of Proverbs, uh, what Solomon calls the the actual foundation, the beginning of wisdom. If you want to gain wisdom in how to live life well, if you want to gain wisdom in terms of what, um, um, how do we approach God, how do we even understand reconciliation with God, it begins with this fundamental, terrified question, which Israel asks at the end of 6 and beginning of 7, who is able to stand before the Lord This holy God. For decades now, the American church has held out a vision of God as immensely approachable, likable. We've done everything in our power to make him as relatable as we can. That's not where salvation begins. It's not where wisdom begins. It's not where renewal and and life, and I would say even, it's not where joy comes from. It doesn't come by lowering our vision of God below the scope of what the scriptures hold out to us. It does not come by trying to make God increasingly relatable or likable. It doesn't come by kind of creating as many on-ramps to God as we can and, and showing how cool and nice and awesome he is. And I'm using awesome in its modern sense, not in its classical sense. Like, look 
at how much God loves you. Look at how close God can come to you. Uh, look how much God and following God is just like the life you want anyway. Um, this is exactly the opposite direction that the Bible moves. If you want to see renewal and, and, and you want to see life and you want salvation, if you want salvation for your neighbors and for our city and for our society, and you should, oh, that our neighbors would know Jesus. If that's true, then we must come to the scriptures and begin where the scriptures begin. And here's where it begins. Who can stand before this God? The answer being, no one. This is the vision of God that our city desperately needs. This is the vision of God that our neighbors desperately need. This is the vision of God that you and I desperately need every single Sunday when we come into this room and we presume to sing and stand and eat in the very presence of this God. Oh, that we should tremble as we consider again who's able to stand we just stood and sang and called upon the name of the Lord. Did you tremble on your way to church this morning? Did you even think about it? But when you began to sing this morning, Did you need the reminder again as you began to sing, Christ has borne my sins, else God would kill me for singing in his presence? Did you consider that? I mean, that's what we do here. We stand in the presence of this holy God. This is where any real renewal, any real transformation, any real salvation must begin. And so brothers and sisters, I would plead with you, know who it is that you presume to call upon in your prayers before a meal. Know who it is um, um, in whose presence we stand and we sing and we eat and we read and we pray when we gather on a Sunday. Know and tremble. And then in your trembling, treasure the grace that is yours in Christ. Cling to the love of God given to you in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But all of the renewal that we're going to see begin to unfold in chapter 7 starts with that question which at its root is a faithful and right view of God. He is the Lord. He is our holy God. So then after that question is asked, tells us at the um, end there of chapter um, 7, verse 2, on the day that the ark was lodged at kiriath Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented 
after the Lord. So where we find ourselves um, at the beginning of verse 3 is, in essence, uh, God has gone to war with the Philistines, defeated them, and the Philistines sent the ark back to Israel. Um, Israel is not ready to receive the presence of God. Um, They presume upon his presence. um, And uh, in, in, in response to God breaking out against Israel, um, and against his people, uh, the ark is um, put at a dude's house, probably in the garage, and it just sits there for 20 years. So the condition we find Israel in at this time is the ark of the covenant of the presence of God is in Ned's garage, up the hill, and we're just going to leave the thing alone. Let Ned deal with it up there in I don't want to put it in Arvada. Let's put it in. Let's put it in Centennial. Down there. Okay. So that's where the ark is. It's there for 20 years. And this line is beautiful. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. There is a kind of sorrow and brokenness, and longing among the people of God as they know where the ark is and they know that they don't have any idea how to stand in the presence of God. And so they lament after the Lord for two decades. It's important to recognize as we, as a people, long for and want reformation, renewal in our city and in our church. It's important that that we recognize that that renewal, reformation, revival, it it doesn't come like the the flick of a switch. The thing that we're going to see unfold here in chapter 7, it's preceded by two decades of lament. Think about that. Like we started today with the ripe young age of 45, and we began as a people to lament for the Lord, to plead with God to come and renew us and restore worship in our day and restore right living and restore God's life and God's law and God's worship into us as a people. If we began to lament today and long for it, I would be the the ripe young age of 65 before this begins to happen. 20 years of lament. 20 years of pleading. 20 years of prayer. 20 years of weeping. 20 years of recognizing God is there at Ned's house. So close. How do we stand before him? That's where it opens. Samuel says to all the house of Israel, you're returning uh, to give you a a timeline for this as well. Um, If you line up kind of timelines with judges, uh, this this whole section here in chapter 7 is probably happening at at about the exact same time uh, that Samson is is captured by the Philistines um, and Samson wrecks the temple of Dagon, and kills all the Philistine leadership. Um, So so 
it's an interesting thing when you start to line up those timelines and realize like, oh, these two things line up. Um, that happens, and then Samuel calls the people of Israel together um, for, for this kind of repentance that he's going to call them to. In other words, Samuel sees God doing something among the Philistines, and then he calls the people of God together to, um, in their lament and their longing, calls them together for repentance because he knows war and the conquering of the Philistines is coming. And for Israel to be ready... For Israel to be ready to defeat the pagan gods, the pagans who have enslaved them, they must stand rightly before God. So, so those, all of those three things kind of belong together as you look at what's happening in this text. So Samuel says to all the house of Israel, he calls them together, um, and he tells them to do three things. Three things that he calls them to do in the midst of kind of coming at the end of this lament is that wholeheartedly return the Lord. In other words, set your whole life now, set your whole being again to come to the Lord. In other words, make the highest priority, your, your deepest goal, the thing that directs the life of your family, that directs your own life, and directs the life of this nation. Make it be that you would come back to God, that you would know God and love God and trust God and believe God first. So wholeheartedly, with every ounce of your being and your affections, and your mind, and your life return to the Lord. Second, put away, um, he says, your idols and your asterisks. Um, uh, later it says your bales and your asterisks. Put away your idolatry. Now, this is interesting um, that, that, that this particular idolatry is mentioned. Um, the bales and asterisks, a bale represented kind of the male um, fertility deity, and asterisks with the, um, the female uh, represented by kind of in the tree groves, uh, the female um, a fertility deity, and there was uh, um, this marked a kind of um, particularly sexual idolatry, sexual practice. Um, it, it's uh, it's no wonder that um, this particular kind of idolatry would take off. Like um, you can imagine um, a form of religion where your piety is expressed through your um, sexual just pleasure, like go have sex with whomever and wherever you want, and that's, that's you've said your prayers for today. Um, that particular idolatry takes root in Israel, um, and I just want to say a bit about that as we consider the relationship between sexuality um, and religion. Uh, Peter Jones has written an excellent book called The God of Sex, in which he um, connects and shows how um, if you change your religion um, by necessity, you will change your sexuality. And it works the other way too. If you change the nature of sexuality in a culture or within a person or within a society, if it becomes corrupted or, sh- or malformed, it will transform and change your religion. So as you look out at the church in our modern world, as you think about um, the, the, the church's witness in our modern world, um, one of the, the things that has always been connected from the very foundation of the world is what and how and whom you approach sexuality and gender, all of those kinds of questions, how that is approached in a society will determine your theology, what you believe about God. 
Like, like it's impossible to hold fast for long to an orthodox, historic, true, biblical vision of God, of justification by faith, of the atonement, of worship, of God's sovereignty, of, 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 of a clear vision of God. It is impossible to hold fast to that while you play fast and loose with your definition of man or woman or what sexual morality looks like. And, and, and it's counterintuitive until you think about it for very long. Uh, Tim Keller tells a story. Um, actually, I've heard this same story play out, and I've, I've seen it play out in my own office um, again and again and again. Of, 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 uh, he tells a story about he was in this small country church in Virginia, um, pastoring for quite a long time. And um, he noticed a pattern that kids would go off to college, they'd come back after their first year, they'd come home for the summer, um, and they would be uh, just, their parents would be in a, just a tizzle. Um, I think tizzle's a great word. Uh, they'd be in a tizzle uh, because their kids had denied the faith or they were questioning Christianity or, or they um, were questioning the, the, the validity of the Bible. Um, they would ask Pastor Keller to meet with their son or their daughter. Um, he would meet with them. And he, 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 got to the, he said, I got to the point where um, I, I just would open the meeting with the question, who are you sleeping with? Because all of the questions about God, all of the questions about um, uh, about the nature of the faith, about the validity of Scripture, was was he he found was being born out of a kind of sexual promiscuity. That there is always a connection between idolatry and and redefining maleness, redefining femaleness, redefining the nature of what is sexually good and beautiful, and so. Samuel calls Israel to put away their Baals and their Ashtaroths. This is not merely put away your little statues. It is put away this sort of sexual confusion and immorality from your midst. Um, and, and you'll find throughout the whole history of Israel, this just comes up again and again and again. And it comes up so often. Um, the, the corruption of the worship of Yahweh, the corruption of the faithfulness of the people of God um, around issues of sexuality and gender. It, it seems that we should pay attention to it um, and, and realize like the devil doesn't have any new tricks. Like every generation, he just does the same exact thing over again from a different angle. And he continues to do it in our day. The blending of, the corruption of our worship and fidelity to the God of the universe. Um, and he doesn't do a full kind of head-on assault. He, he doesn't show up. Um, um, and, and society doesn't show up and say, um, you believe really crazy things about God. Let me prove to you that God is not like, like the God that you think he is. Although it, it rarely shows up that way. Instead, it shows up through sexual corruptions. It shows up uh, by calling into question what it means to be a man and a woman bearing the image of God faithfully and joyfully in the world. It, it shows up and it begins to call into question the nature of sexual morality and purity. It, 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 it shows up um, through the side door, if you will. And so that people come and they begin to practice things and approve of things and maybe even tacitly approve of things that God hates. 
And never in a million years would it have entered their mind to think um, that, that they needed to change their view of God or their definition of God and worship an Ashtaroth or a Baal. Subtly and slowly, the truth is that if you change your sexuality, if you change what you approve of sexually, if you change your definition of a man or woman, if you change or approve of or, or those things become um, get sideways, your definition of God will change. It will change. There is no avoiding it. So Samuel tells him, stop it. And third, tells them to serve the Lord alone. To reorder all of their life such that all of their life is done in worship to and in service to God and to God alone. Um, There's a great saying, uh, a church that we're um, connected to, hopefully will be a sister church of ours, uh, in a few years, um, that's starting down in North Littleton, um, they, they, their catchphrase, they have a catchphrase. Is that the right word? feels lame when I say catchphrase. Um, they have a catchphrase. Uh, all of Christ for all of life. Um, church that helped sponsor us actually had the same catchphrase. Seems like a rather catching phrase. Um, all of Christ for all of life. There is foundational into um, the kind of worship, the kind of life that God calls us to, in which every single facet of our life belongs to Him. All of Christ, every single facet of who Jesus is, not the parts that we like or the parts that we're comfortable with, but all of Him, as He actually is ruling over all of life, not, not just our prayer life, not just our devotional life, but, but our ethics, our morality, our sexuality, our children, um, the education of our children, um, the, the nature of our homes, the hospitality of our homes, the, um, the relationships in marriage, every single part of work, our relationships to every other person, um, whether we're approved of or not approved of by them. We don't serve any of those ends. We serve Christ as he is. So Samuel calls the people to those three things. And then, starting in verse 4 through 9, you see the people of Israel actually begin to repent. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth. They served the Lord only. And then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So they name their sin. You'll see a progression of repentance and renewal. Begins with a recognition that who can stand before this holy God. Then they returned to the Lord with their whole heart. They put away their idols. They put away the corruptions of their worship. They put away um, all the things from the secular culture around us. Get put away as we trust in and turn wholeheartedly to the Lord our God. And they seek to serve Him and Him alone. And then standing before this God, they fall on their face. And they recognize we have sinned against the Lord. This is always 
a revival and renewal and salvation comes. You long for the Lord. You recognize that you can't stand before him. You, you hear the call of God to serve him and serve him alone and to turn away from your false gods and your idols and you confess your sins, your actual sins in the presence of God. This is um, uh, another facet of why we uh, try to be as specific as we can in, in confessing our sins. And I would, I would call you to be as specific as you can in confessing your sins before God. Repentance is never just general. It's putting away this idol. It's repenting of this attitude. It's repenting of doing this with money. It's repenting of looking at that website. It is always and absolutely concrete. Um, It stands before God and it puts away actual idols. It puts away actual sins. They say we have sinned against the Lord. It says that Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Um, what judging was in Israel's day, particularly coming out of um, the season of the judges, is um, they, uh, the judges were there to kind of put Israel in order. Things, um, because of the nature of idolatry, because of the nature of sin, when that happens, relationships get put out of order, economics get put out of order, um, households get put out of order, like everything gets all entangled and a mess and set on fire. So Samuel functioning now, um, he has functioned as a prophet. Um, he's going to function as a priest. Um, here he begins to function as a judge. And as he begins to function as a judge, he begins to take Israel and kind of unentangle everything that's gotten entangled through idolatry and through unfaithfulness. And then they offer a sacrifice, um, continuing there in verse 9. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it, uh, your translation probably says, as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Um, This is the ascension offering. Um, It it is one of the offerings that serves as a model for what we do um, in this uh, room every single Sunday. And it's particularly notable coming on the the heels of that question at the end of chapter 6. Uh, Because what happens in the ascension offering is the people of God uh, offer an animal. And in um, the the, the mechanism was that in that animal, the the whole animal ascends in the smoke into the presence of God. And And it marked in the old covenant the means by which the people of God would come and stand before this holy God. They would offer an ascension offering, a whole burnt offering, and in the smoke, through the animal that was being consumed by the fire, um, the, the, the kind of some, the, 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 what was happening in that offering was that the people of God were, were being brought into the presence of God to stand in his presence. That, that for us has been fulfilled in Jesus. We'll get to that in just a minute. So they ascend... Um, before the Lord, um, as that is all beginning to happen and unfolding, Philistines get word that, pe- that Israel has gathered at Mizpah. Um, they can't have that. Uh, there's evidently a crisis brewing as um, Samson has just killed a whole bunch of them. Um, and so they come to Mizpah to, to make war against Israel. And I want you to notice the difference in the response of Israel here as opposed to earlier in the book. Um, the Philistines come and Israel is afraid. Um, but Israel doesn't go get the ark to use God um, as a tool to defeat their enemies. Rather, they go to Samuel and they plead with him, pray for us. 
In other words, here's not, I'm going to use God as a talisman, talisman to defeat my enemies. Rather, here's a people who recognize that unless God comes to our aid, unless God himself comes to fight for us, we have no hope. Do you see the difference? But one people is marked by humility. One people is marked by the, uh, a recognition of their utter dependence on God, their need of his grace, their need of him to stand and to fight for them. The other presumes upon God, presumes to tell God what he must do for them. So they plead with Samuel to pray for them. He prays and then God comes and makes war. It says that the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, threw them into confusion. This is um, set in kind of a, a contrast. Uh, the first battle with the Philistines, when the ark comes into the camp of Israel, um, the people of Israel begin to thunder. You remember? So Israel is going to go to war with the Philistines and they're thundering and the Philistines were afraid. Um, now uh, the people of Israel are afraid of the Philistines and they don't thunder, God does. This is just beautiful. You see, when, when we as a people seek renewal and revival and salvation, it's not marked by our own bravado. It's not marked by our own strength. It's marked by a people humbled before the Lord, people who recognize his holiness, a people who confess our sins and are diligent to put away all idolatries, all corruptions of our worship of Yahweh, a people diligent to confess our sins in the presence of God, and a people who, um, um, are, through the work of Jesus, are welcomed into his presence. And the people who stand and look at the midst of a secular culture in high rebellion against the things of God and the goodness of God, and, and rather than kind of thumping our chests in the face of that rebellion, in the face of, frankly, the evil that surrounds us, we plead with God that he would move. We plead with God that he would act. We plead with God that he would put down evil. And we wait and we watch as God himself begins to thunder. This is a roadmap for us. A roadmap of renewal and revival. A roadmap of, of salvation if you're here and you don't know the Lord. Oh, that we as a people would humbly recognize the holiness of God and tremble before it. Oh, that we as a people would put away idolatry. That we'd be disgusted with our own compromises with wickedness and unfaithfulness in all the ways that it shows up um, in our life. And, and the, the, the common idolatries of our day, by the way, are autonomy, a, a refusal um, to submit to God and to trust God and to obey God and to receive and to love his word. Um, but, but we live in the midst of a culture that, um, that constantly pulls us to say, no, I'm going I'm to be my own man. I'm going to be my own person. I have the right to define myself how I want to define myself. Um, a, a, a culture obsessed with emotional satisfaction. Um, and instead, we would put all of those things away, all sexual corruptions, all um, pornography, all wickedness, all compromises um, with, with unbelief, and that we as a people would put all of those things away and serve the Lord only. 
repenting of our sin. Gathering in this room week after week after week in the name of Jesus to ascend the throne of God. To plead with him to fight for us. Then the Lord will thunder. This is the renewal, revival, the outbreaking of the Lord in our society and in our neighborhoods that we want. Not a church full of bravado. Not a church confident in its own its own savvy, its own strength. The people humbled before the Lord, a people confessing their sins before the Lord, a people diligent to put away all corruptions and idolatry, a people who cling to Jesus and knowing in Jesus we ascend unto the very throne room of God and in Jesus and only in Jesus are we made able to stand before this holy God. And here is the glorious thing um, that not only are we made able to stand, but we're also made able to plead with our God to come. To come and let his thunders undo wickedness. Let his thunders come and push back darkness. Let his thunders conquer the wickedness of our day. Fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. This thundering um, reminded me this week, in in the book of Revelation, uh, the people of God um, are uh, before the throne of God and they they, um, are uh, witnesses to the reign of Jesus um, and they... Uh, plead with God, how long, how long, how long? How long will you let wickedness, how long will you let unbelief, how how long will you let paganism run rampant on the earth? I mean, they begin to plead with God and in response to the humility and the prayers of the people of God who are there only on account of Jesus, he throws down, it says he throws down incense um, um, this incense on the earth and lightnings and thunders uh, begin to unfold in history. Oh, may we be a people who are humbled before the Lord who hate idols, hate them. Serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Come before the throne only in the person of Jesus. Let's pray and prepare for communion. So, Father, at this table, in this offering, the offering of bread, the very body of Christ, wine, blood of Christ, we ascend to your throne. Here we dine with you. So, God, I pray that you would humble us as a people, that you would cause us to put aside all idolatries. You'd help us to hold fast and to cling Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our King, our sacrifice. And God, that we would serve you with all of our lives. Serve you and you alone. Nothing and no one else. In your name we pray, amen.